Father, indeed, as we come before you here in this day, we are appreciative of the Bible class that we have, of the fellowship that we share, uh, of thy word, which has been preserved for us. And as we open it, we pray that thou wouldst uh, instill in us a sense of awe and um, inspire us to hide it in our hearts so that we might not sin against thee. Be with us as we read and share in this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, this morning, Brother Uli had mentioned that uh, he had um, met somebody in a bookstore. And, you know, we meet people all the time. We pass each way, and, and I guess meeting is, you know, what is meeting? Just crossing in the aisle? Uh, but he had specifically said he had his antennas up. He had prayed in the morning, and he was looking for an opportunity, and he had his antennas up. And I, I was reminded as... Um, as we were coming back east, uh, Lori and Anna flew into Ohio, and uh, they were supposed to fly out of our local airport, Orange County Airport, and that's about, oh, a 10-minute drive from home. It's a pretty quick uh, jaunt. But all of a sudden, at 5.53 in the morning, Lori comes in, and uh, I was sleeping at 5.53 in the morning, and she says, can you take us to LAX? Now, that's about an hour. And it's 5.53 in the morning. It took me a little bit to... to to wake up, to understand the, the depth of this. And I had some meetings in the morning, and it's like, sure, but we need, we need to leave soon. And uh, to keep this long story short, as we finally got on the road, as we were coming into the airport, I had my antennas up because I know that, especially at LAX, uh, there can be a lot of traffic there. And just, just getting around the loop can take you 45 minutes, and that was something I didn't want to do. And so as you come up around the corner, uh, you look at the arrivals and the departures. And, of course, they're departing. And, of course, thousands of people are departing early on a Monday morning. And that line, I can just see, as far as I can see, it was four lanes wide. It was deep. It was traffic. And so I said, you know, we're going downstairs. You know, this is where the arrivals come in. And there might have been 100 cars total. So we went down there. And Lori said, well, how did you know? And I thought, and to me it was just obvious. But I think Brother Uli hit it on the head. I, I had my antennas up. I was looking for it as I came around the corner because you only have three seconds. You have to make your decision. I had my antennas up. Today we're going to read just a few verses from the book of Proverbs, chapter 4. And it's going to be about warnings. You've seen the warnings, right? There was just on a baby stroller, you know, they have the little warning signs, please remove child before folding. Right? Um, there was a wood drill. It said uh, not to be used as a dental drill. <laughs> there was a, a dishwasher that said, please do not let children play inside a Superman costume that said, does not enable flight, right? So we look at these warnings and we laugh, but why are they there? It's because there, it's a possibility, right? There, there was a sign that said, bridge out. 
And somebody had posted in their little blog that, you know, I saw the sign and I drove down and sure enough, the bridge was out. So I turned around and I came back and on the back of the sign that said bridge out, it said, I told you so. <laughs> right? But why do we have warnings? And, and we have warnings for protection of self and protection of others. There's some foreseeable chance that somebody might put on a Superman costume and go and jump off the roof, right? Because they think, I can fly. I, I remember I took like a, a sheet, a bed sheet, and I tried it, and it didn't, didn't work, right? The parachute didn't have time to open. Um, we're going to read uh, just, really I want to focus on verses 13 and 14 of Proverbs chapter 4, but I just want to read the first verses also from the beginning. And this is the Proverbs of Solomon, it, it, starts in, in Proverbs chapter 1. And so therefore, when it says, when he's talking about his father, that would be David, his father. Uh, Hear ye, children, the instruction of a father, and attend to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine, forsake ye not my law. For I was my father's son. So Solomon was his father, David's son, tender and only beloved in the sight of my mother. And he taught me also and said unto me, let thine heart retain my words. Keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Forget it not. Neither decline from the words of my mouth. Forsake her not, and she shall preserve thee. Love her, and she shall keep thee. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And with all thy getting, get understanding. Exalt her, and she shall promote thee. She shall bring thee to honor when thou dost embrace her. She shall give to thine hand an ornament of grace, a crown of glory shall she deliver to thee. Hear, O my son, and re uh, receive my sayings, and the years of thy life shall be many. I have taught thee in the way of wisdom. I have led thee in right paths. When thou goest, thy steps shall not be straightened, and when thou runnest, thou shalt not stumble. Take fast hold of instruction. Let her go not. Keep her, for she is thy life. Enter not into the path of the wicked, and go not in the way of evil men. You know, so here's uh, Dave, you know, Solomon recounting the lessons that he had from David. And you remember in uh, Scripture when the kingdom is passed over to Solomon, and God comes to him and says, you know, what, what would you have? And he asked for wisdom. He asked for wisdom. Now, in our Bible class, I did find it interesting that uh, as we read in 1 Kings uh, 20, was it 21? Or 23, sorry. 1 Kings 23, 13. And the high places that were uh, before Jerusalem, which, uh, uh, which were on the right hand of the Mount of Corruption, which Solomon, the king of of Israel have builded for Ashtoreth the abomination of the Zidonians and for Chemosh the abomination of the Moabites and it goes on um, even though Solomon had asked for wisdom even though to this day as far as we know he's the wisest man in the world that didn't save him from neglecting the warnings he neglected the warnings when we look at life's warnings if you just recount the Ten Commandments Right? There's a batch of warnings. Thou shalt not... Well, let's go there really quick. Exodus 20. 
I remember, uh, let me go back one page, sorry. Um, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image in the likeness of anything. I'll just summarize. Um, you shall not bow down to them. Thou shalt not take the Lord, name of the Lord thy God in vain. And as you go down, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou uh, labor and do thy work, but on the seventh day it is the Sabbath for the Lord. Um, honor thy father and thy mother, and thy mother thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor, thou shalt not cover, covet thy neighbor's wife. These are all warnings. Why are they warnings? They're real things that can disturb our lives. They can cause and wreak havoc in our lives. And we need to know, as we were talking about, is it important to read and understand prophecy? And, and I'll extend that to just God's word in general. It is so important to read and understand prophecy and understand his word words. As I was looking at the Ten Commandments, I, I did see that there was a, um, another version. It was a hill, hillbilly version of the Ten Commandments. There ain't but one God. Honor your mom and pa. No telling tales or gossiping. Get your hide to, church, to a sunny meeting. Ain't nothing come before the Lord. No fooling with another feller's gal. No killing except for critters. Quit your foul mouthing. No swiping your kinfolk stuff. And don't be hankering for your kin stuff neither. So these are just uh, different ways to understand the importance of these warnings. You know, when I was thinking of David teaching Solomon, in Scripture, God has a special place in his heart for David. As, and even though you know, of his, we, of his great sin, right, with uh, Uriah the Hittite's wife, Bathsheba. Um, it says of David throughout Scripture, he was a man beloved by, he was a man after my own heart, except in that little matter of Uriah the Hittite. You know, I'm just amazed at the grace that God has um, for David and for us and when there's a repentant heart there. And when we read in Proverbs chapter 4, and this is how uh, this is um, Solomon's recounting of David's teaching. I thought back to my own father, and you know, there's many teachings that you can remember as a child, but there was this one teaching that I thought really affected my life, and it wasn't a, a teaching by words. You know how with parents, more is, uh, parents and children, more is caught than taught. And I remember as I, I worked at my father's garage from maybe uh, 12 to 20, somewhere in there, and somewhere in there, I remember a customer had come in and he had a Cadillac and his water pump was leaking. And this is probably back in the mid-70s. And you know, they're big cars and you looked at the, the water pump from the top and it was buried. You couldn't get to it. And I think the book said it was, must have been eight hours or so. There was a lot of money in there and the dealership went a lot. And so my father put it up in the rack and you looked at it and uh, you could see the water pump right there. And so he quoted it as such and and the guy gladly, you know, gave him the card to change the water pump. 
And I remember uh, watching my dad as I was down under. I was watching him uh, working up above. And the water pump, you know, you can get in there. The water pump came out. The bolts came out easy. And as the water pump dropped down, it, it wouldn't come out. No matter what you did, no matter how you twisted it, it was a quarter inch too big for the space between the engine block and the frame. It just wouldn't come out. And so, indeed, the dealership, you know, you got to take everything out from the top. And I was thinking, oh, that, this is trouble. You know, even as a young child, I'm thinking, there's trouble. My dad's having trouble getting this out. And that's all I can see is the trouble. I'm thinking he's going to have to go in from the top. But he just goes over to the shop and he gets his pry bar out. And, you know, the engine has rubber mounts. And all you need is a quarter inch. And that water pump came right out. And here I am some, I don't know, 40 plus years later, remembering that time and how that affected my life. Because you realize there's always another way. Some people, you know, they might need, if you don't know the whole picture, you might do damage, right? You might be bending frames instead of moving mounts. But there's always another way, and that helps, that, that kind of structures your life. It, it gives you a clear path, and it helps you to understand. And as we read God's Word, you know, we're in Proverbs 4 now, but if you just turn over to chapter 5, I'll just read a few um, verses from chapter 5. My son, attend unto my wisdom, and, my, and bow thine ear unto mine understanding, that thou mayest regard discretion, and that thy lips may keep knowledge, for the lips of a strange woman drop as a honeycomb. And her mouth is smoother than oil, but her end is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps take hold on hell. Lest thou shouldst ponder the path of life, her ways are movable, and thou canst not know them. If that's not a verse you should memorize, I don't know what is. Because the truth of the matter is, this is truth. For in the man who had... 300 wives, 700 concubines, right? This is truth. And so as we look at these warnings, as we think about them, we got to do something with them. Um, I remember a, a friend of mine recently, uh, he was telling me, I was talking, we were talking about cars again. I don't know, we were talking about cars. And he said, oh yeah, I got this car because um, it had a, a blown head gasket. Oh, really? Yeah, um, I don't know if his, if his parents-in-law, his in-laws, I almost think it was his wife, uh, the, the, the overheat light came on. And she only had three miles to go home. So she just drove it home because she was pretty close, you know. And of course that did drastic damage to the engine. Uh, and then I thought to myself, not too long ago, I had had um, a, an... Um, a low coolant light, almost the same, right? Not a little bit different. And so the low coolant comes, light comes on. And on some cars, some cars don't have a low coolant light. They just have over temperature. Uh, but on other cars, when the coolant just gets a little bit low, it comes on. And that doesn't mean you have to stop, but you at least got to think about it. So I, I looked, and I was coming home from work. It was a, a later evening, and it was dark, and going down the freeway, and I looked, and it's like, oh, low coolant, let me look at the temperature. And the temperature was going up. So I just pulled over. 
And the short of the story is the tow truck took it home and I looked in the morning to see what it was. Uh, the lower radiator hose had just blown off. There was a clip in there that was loose, weak. And it had just come out and I had lost all my coolant in seconds, right? But there was no harm, no foul, because all I had to do was uh, I got a new clip. I snapped it back on. I put new coolant in. Nothing more was done because I had saw the warning light. And really, from experience, I had known that it was really, really, really important. And if I didn't know all the stuff about getting too hot or anything else, I should have just pulled over anyway because I, I, I knew enough that that check engine light, that's what they have, right? That's a little check engine light, that's what it's called. I saw someone with a T-shirt on and it had a check engine light symbol on it. It said, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, right? Uh, kind of contrary to the warnings that we should do, take heed. But as we, let's look, let's just turn in Scripture uh, and look at an example, a biblical example. And let's, let's turn back, back to Second Samuel uh, chapter 11. And we had talked about David, um, and, and we're going to talk about David's big mistake, if you would. And the warnings that he had and what he did or did not do with them. And so let's go back. We saw that Solomon had 300 wives, 700 concubines. You know, his father, his example, had six, seven, eight wives. I think if you include Bathsheba and, you know, Michael, the, the first one from Saul. He had seven wives, let's say, and then there was the eighth added, right? Let's just review it. And it came to pass after the year, uh, 2 Samuel 11, after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab, I'll paraphrase, and, but David stayed back. He tarried at Jerusalem. So this was the time that he should have been going out, but he wasn't going out. So that's warning number one. You're not doing what you normally would be doing. And it came to pass in the evening that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of his the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself. And there you just stop right there. Warning number two. He saw a woman washing himself on the building across the way. Warning number two. Just go back. Just turn around. Go back. Don't look any further. But it, he goes on to say the, the woman was very beautiful. So that's a, a trouble, right? And it came to pass... No, I'm sorry. And David sent and inquired after the woman. Ah, warning number three. He should have heeded. That. These are all warnings, right? And Nathan the prophet comes back after the case, but any one of his servants could have said, David, what are you doing? But he sends, and this is what the king said. And, and one said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So here it was the uh, daughter of one of his mighty men that he knew very well. It was the granddaughter of Ahithophel, his counselor. It was the, the wife of one of his mighty men that was out in battle right now. Warning, 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 flashing lights. The whole dash is red. Stop. Stop. And David sent messengers and took her and came. Uh, she came unto him and lay with her and she was... Basically, he, he 
lays with her. She becomes pregnant. Now, more warnings. He sends for Uriah. He's trying to cover it up. He kills her. I mean, problem added upon problem. So let's go back to what, what we're really trying to understand and, and get out of this whole idea of warnings. In our lives, if, you're, if all the input coming into your life is secular input, right? If you go to work and you're talking about secular things, if you're watching secular movies, if you're reading the secular news, there's trouble. Because you don't even have a, a firm basis on what is a warning and what is not. Uh, C.S. Lewis, uh, in his book, Mere Christianity, he observed that for many people, morality is something that interferes, something that stops you from having a good time. That's what people think of morality is. But in reality, moral rules are directions for running the human machine. Just like going back to a car, right? There are instructions. At my in-law's house, uh, the, the car had a low oil light. And mom said, hey, you know, I have some oil out there. You know, does it expire? It's like, oh, what do you mean does oil expire? You know, like in the car? No, no, she has it on the shelf. It's been there a while. Does it expire? It's like, well, I mean, you can run older oil. Oil, it's in a bottle. It doesn't really expire. But the real question is, what oil was designed for that car? What oil was designed for the car? Was the engine designed for a specific oil? It needed a certain weight, a certain type of oil, right? And how do you know that? How do you know? And isn't it important that the engineers who designed that car, they spent a lot of time thinking about this. And it's important to just, just do the very simple thing of putting the right thing in, right? And then you don't have to worry. As we talk about David, oh, he had the knowledge, but already at the beginning, you know, he didn't just have one wife, two wives, three wives, four wives, five wives. He had a different problem, right? Whether, you know, he knew from his six, you know, his seven wives that that wasn't enough to fulfill the, the lust that he was uh, having, right? Solomon proved that a thousand didn't do it for him. One wife was all that you needed, really, according to Scripture. And that's where he should have stopped. Um, The outcomes. So after this rash of bad choices, this rash of heating, not heeding warnings, um, what comes out from it? Well, Uriah dies. The child dies. Uh, Nathan finally comes to David and, da and confronts David. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. He came to himself. He understands. And that is such a repeating phrase in history. So many times as I've talked with people that have gone down the wrong path, and even in my mind or thoughts or deeds, if I've gone down the right path, wrong path, when you get to the end and you see what a train wreck it was, you say, you come to your senses like, wow, that wasn't worth it. 
that just wasn't worth it. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin, thou shalt not die. Howbeit, because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child that is born unto thee shall surely die. What a horrible outcome to what he thought was just a choice that he made, right? And in real life, so we're reading thousands of years ago, this happened. But in real life, there are real people sitting in pews like this, struggling. And maybe the woman, maybe her husband's a little harsh and he doesn't say things quite right. Maybe he doesn't help with the kids like they, she's, she thinks he should. And, and she's at work. There's another issue, right? We, we have to work. Everybody has to work now because we, we've just boxed ourselves in because, you know, back in the 30s and 40s, there, weren't, there wasn't really a mortgage. You know, the, you'd buy a house, you'd buy house cash, right? But then they started making a mortgage available so that you can buy a little bit more. And so, uh, sure enough, you, you, you took a little mortgage, and now you, you got a little bit better house, the nicer house on the street. And sure enough, everybody started to take the mortgage, and all the prices went up. And now you're paying a mortgage for a house that you could have bought for, let's say, $5,000. Now you're paying $10,000. And it's the same house, but now you have to pay for it twice as much, and you paid more for it, right? And then you keep on going, and, well, you know what? If my wife works, now I can, we, can get, we can have this bigger thing together. And so sure enough, that happens once, and the Joneses follow the Joneses, and all of a sudden, everybody's doing it. And now everybody has to work all the time to pay a 30-year mortgage. So the wife's at work. Kids are in school, daycare. She's struggling with life. Oh, there's such a nice man at work that smiles at her. So she talks to him. Oh, and he's such a caring man. And he listens. And warning, 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 warning. And the next thing you know, you know, she's leaving her husband. She's leaving her kids. There's trouble. There's, there's confusion. There's families that have destroyed and torn up. You know, she was sitting in a pew. She was a Christian woman. Her, her unconverted husband, his, or his family, maybe he was converted, but her family, his family, is saying, what kind of a Christian is this? Is this, what, is this what we should be looking for? Is this what we should emulate in our life? Right? God's name is blasphemed because of our actions. Could there be forgiveness? Sure. You know, could they turn from their, their ways? Could she turn before? Could she have, like David, taken any one of these escape routes? Because God always gives a way of escape. We just kind of know that there's a warning sign flashing. And it might, be, it might be another brother or sister with their antennas up seeing that there's something going on in their life. It's time to do something. It's time to change. And you've got to be humble enough to say, uh, you're right. I've gone thus far, but I'm going to stop. I'm going to turn around. I'm going to repent. I'm going to do the right thing. And even though I might not understand it, even though it looks so tempting to go over here because the grass is so green, 
I'm going to stay where God has made a place for me in his word. God's word is full of warnings. It's full of exhortings. It's full of uh, love. It's full of of all the things we know to operate the human machine. And a lot of times we think that, you know, if just our machine is running good, that's all I need, right? My car is running good, starts up every morning, goes down the road. But the truth of the matter is not just your machine. You got to get on the road with a thousand other cars. All right. Oh, we're in Syracuse, maybe 20 cars. Okay, and you can't be hitting each other. And we got to be going to the right place. Are we going to the right place? Are we all going to church on Sunday morning? Well, the, all these cars should be going to church. And if they're not, well, you had some good running cars and they didn't crash into each other, but, you know, some are at the drive-in, some are at Walmart, and some are at church. You know, that's, that wasn't the plan from God's point of view. A lot of times we think it's good enough just to have our own cars running well and the machine is well oiled and I've read his word and I think and I pray, but once again, going back to Uli's comment this morning, but I prayed that the Lord would have something for me that you know somehow I would be an influence on somebody's life. I'm not sure exactly how you said, but that God would use me today. Well, that means that I'm gonna be interacting with others and I have to be interacting in a way that it would be a listening ear or an admonishing tongue. Or as the, as the Spirit leads, and this is where having the Spirit of God in us and listening to his still small voice is so important because it is a still small voice. And if there's a lot of commotion going around, sometimes we miss it, a lot of noise. But that still small voice saying, you know, you should just go talk to that person or you should smile at that person or don't have that frowny face on all day because you're thinking of the wrong things and dwelling on the wrong things because you're supposed to have joy in your heart and happiness doesn't depend on happenings, right? All of those things come together as we read his word and all of those things can give us a life that's full and blessed by God. As we ponder upon his words as we read Proverbs, the wisdom of Solomon, as we learn from the um, errors and sins of David, and as we see his repentance, as we think about our fathers and our mothers, how they went before, and their mistakes and their, their successes and victories, as we see that in our lives. Let us focus on that which draws us closer to God. May God bless his word.